Hi there, it's Lucia, host of the Witch Money podcast here. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to tell you about a really handy new tool from us here at Witch, and even better, it's free. It's called My Money Health Check. All you need to do is answer a few quick questions about your finances, and then we'll do the rest, pointing you towards our brilliant witch advice that we think you'll find really useful. Once again, that's My Money Health Checks. If you want help with cutting your bills or making your money go further, it's the place for you. Just head to witch.co.uk forward slash My Money Health Check. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. It's a subscription trap, really. It's setting up a direct debit and hoping that they forget about it and they see £10, £20 a month going out of their account like clockwork before it's too late. The problem is that for most people, the fixed amount that you receive is probably quite a lot less than what you'd actually pay in. The average life expectancy uh, for both men and women is higher than 80. So everything that you pay after that point increasingly feels like money down the drain. A lot of people will get a lifetime trust and put their home in it so that they can ring fence that, protect it from being used to pay for care. The trouble with that is, is that if the local authority thinks that you did set it up with that intention, then there's a chance they'll regard it as deliberate deprivation of assets. With the rising cost of living and inflation at the highest rate since 1992, it's high time to ditch the financial products you simply do not need and save potentially hundreds of pounds. So this week we've rallied up the troops at which, with Dean Sobers, Gareth Shaw and Charlotte Gifford joining us today. We'll be discussing eight of the worst offenders and along the way we've got bags of advice on money-saving alternatives, plus we've slipped in an easy way to earn you a quick £150. We are witch. The first product we've picked out today is a type of life insurance. Now, we've talked about how important life insurance can be on the podcast before, and we'll get onto that in a minute. But with this particular type, we've worked out you'll likely pay more than your family or loved ones would receive. Dean, we're talking about over 50s life cover, and it's probably entered most of our lives through the TV, to be honest, because there seems to be loads of adverts on this. But before they lure you in or your parents or grandparents, what do we need to know here? Well, over 50s plans are fairly simple. Um, That's part of their appeal Mm -hmm. um, and why they're easy to advertise. So you put in a fixed amount of money each month. um, And when you die, that uh, another fixed amount is paid out. Problem is that for most people, the fixed amount that you receive is probably quite a lot less than what you'd actually pay in. Um, So we had a a look at some policies and how much they'd pay out for a 55-year-old non-smoker. And if you paid 20 quid a month, um, we'd putting in premiums uh, what the best paying policy offered by the time our policyholder turned 80. Again, that, that was the best paying policy we found. Um, the problem is that the average life expectancy uh, for both men and women is higher than 80. Um, so everything that you pay after that point increasingly feels like money down the drain. But then the catch is if you then decide to cancel your policy, you lose everything that you've paid in to date. So you just have to keep paying. Some policies do allow you to um, to stop paying more money in um, after a certain age. So it's usually 90. 
it can make sense for people who have some reason to to think that they're not going to live as long as the average life expectancy. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if they have um, a serious health condition, but most people we think should seriously consider other options. So if over 50s insurance isn't worth it for for most, what about life insurance generally? I saw an interesting stat this week from Money Supermarket that two in five homeowners don't have life insurance. Is that a big no-no? That is an interesting stat. Um, So I say that the truth um, or the answer really depends on what it is that you need the life insurance for. Um, so if you have like a big financial commitment, such as a mortgage, um, or you want some ongoing security for your family, um, then normal term insurance is, is definitely worth looking at um, if you've got no other safety net in place. So term insurance usually pays out for much larger amounts than, than the over 50s plans that we were talking about. But it is different. Uh, it covers you for a limited term. So, for example, 10 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily going to last you for your entire life. It's basically there to make sure that your that you, you know that your financial commitment is is covered. Most people that take out over 50s plans usually tend to do so because they are looking to make provision for a more modest amount of money. Um, So quite often they're taking these plans out because they're trying to um, put money aside for their funeral. Um, Mm. If you're in that situation, alternatives uh, that are worth considering, probably the, the first one would be just putting money aside yourself into savings. Um, and then another another alternative is is perhaps looking at a prepaid funeral plan, and that would work out better even with savings rates as bad as they are currently. Um, so we, yeah, we we did look at this. So in our example with an over fifties plan, uh, we were looking at putting twenty pounds a month into uh, into an over fifties plan. So if instead we put that twenty pounds a month into a savings account that was paying just zero point five percent interest. And we started from age 55. Uh, by the time we turned 80, we would have £6,400. And that compares to £6,064 that we would actually get from the over 50s plan. I think if you if you own a home, um, particularly if you own a home with a partner, life insurance is absolutely essential. I've got a family. I've got two children. I've just bought my second property we are mortgaged up to the eyeballs. And when I spoke to my mortgage broker about jacking up my borrowings to buy this house that we've just moved into, the other essential part of that conversation was life insurance, because I don't know how my wife would pay the mortgage if I were to die, vice versa. I don't know how I would cover the mortgage and childcare costs and all of those kinds of things without some kind of life insurance and, and protection in place. So, yeah, we, we've got bag loads of protection. We've got a decreasing term life insurance policy that the amount that pays out goes down every year in line with our mortgage so that we're not overinsured. We've mm-hmm. got lump sums that increase with inflation each year. So that um, if we were to both die, there's some money set aside for our kids. And also we have something called a family income benefit policy. And this pays out a fixed amount until the kids are 18 or 23, I think. Um, So if one of us were to die, there would be a fixed monthly amount coming in as well. And that could go towards, you know, the very young age, the cost of childcare and, you know, would, would allow that. Um, you know, surviving partner to 
not have to give up work or anything like that for childcare and just continue our lives on as normally, I guess, as possible. I don't really like to speculate on the reality of that or mm. having to make a claim. But this, that from Money Supermarket, I, I don't know if it's two in five homeowners who have mortgages, because that is definitely a big no-no. But, you know, mm. it might be people who own their home outright and then life, the life insurance or the term insurance Dean was describing, perhaps not as essential. You know, it should be said that we're talking about the rising costs of living here. And if your your income is being squeezed, perhaps life insurance won't be the first thing that, that you spend on. Is there a way of getting this, this cheaply? It's personalised pricing. It can be based on your age, your height, mm. your weight, your family history, um, your level of health, you know, any kind of past smoking or anything like that there are loads of factors that go into it but if you're mm -hmm. young and healthy and you you want to buy life insurance you can start off super cheap it does get more expensive as you get older um, because statistically you're you know you're more likely to die sooner and the insurance is more likely to pay out um, but yeah you can start off a, 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 with a low amount and I would even say even if you can't afford to cover your whole mortgage for example something is better than nothing now, let's move on now to another type of insurance that doesn't always quite cut it, and that's gadget cover. Back in the day, when we started using smartphones, it seemed like quite a given that you'd get gadget insurance at the same time as getting a new phone. But is this still the case? So basically, you wouldn't say that protecting an expensive purchase like an, like an iPad or a smartphone is, is a bad idea, but there are definitely things that you need to weigh up. Um, so if someone's trying to sell you gadget insurance, uh, the key thing to look at mm -hmm. first is if you actually already have some cover. Um, so most home insurance policies either have or allow you to add on quite cheaply personal possessions cover, um, which you're able to claim on if you lose your phone or tablet or if you drop it or, or whatever when you're away from the house. Um, and then many packaged bank accounts also roll in gadget or, um, or phone cover as a perk. So you might already have the insurance, but not know that you've got it. And then the other thing to look at is, is the value of the policy that you're considering. So lots of gadget policies um, can be quite expensive um, and some uh, can have um, high excesses and may also exclude things like cosmetic damage. Um, so you kind of have to sort of weigh up um, what it is that you kind of want from the cover and, and the cost of the cover against the alternatives. You know, speaking personally, you know, my phone providers are trying to flog me insurance. Generally, I just get by with a, a case now. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a risk of, of sorts, but it's, um, you know, I've got quite a few gadgets and I tend not to, not to insure them specifically. I've got a tech pack on my bank account. It's like a bolt-on you can buy to your bank account that gets you mobile phone insurance and it covers the whole household. So I can pop my wife's phone on there as well. And that's sort of how I justify it. We do also have contents insurance. So I do have a backup there. So I'm probably double insured. <laughs> you know, it, that, that kind of makes sense. I don't think I've ever gone out and bought standalone gadget insurance. Well, let's talk a bit more about that then, because, you know, phones can easily be worth upwards of £100. If you're lucky enough to have the iPhone 13, that's just shy of a thousand. So if not standalone gadget insurance, like you've just started to touch on, Gareth, what's the more money saving way to have it covered? 
Obviously, to a large extent, it comes down to personal choice. I would say, though, if you're considering insuring um, insuring your phone um, or insuring your, your your iPad or or insuring both, there are a fair few things that you need to weigh up. So, if someone's trying to sell you gadget insurance, uh, I think that the key thing that you probably need to look at first is if you already have some cover. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Gareth just mentioned earlier that he thought he might be double insured. Um, it is the case that most home insurance policies either have or allow you to add on quite cheaply personal possessions cover. Um, which you can claim on if you if you lose your phone or tablet or, or drop it or whatever when you're away from the house. Um, I was looking at some quotes the other day and, and I you know on, on a comparison site and I found that adding on um, personal possessions cover um, tended to nudge quotes up by you know like under twenty pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, another alternative is that many packaged bank accounts um, also roll in gadget cover or phone cover as a perk. So you might already have gadget cover but just not know that you've got it the other side of it is is just looking at the value of the product so lots of these policies can be really expensive even as expensive as buying a full home insurance policy but like all insurance they come with restrictions so they might have high excesses uh, which might discourage you from claiming Um, and they may also exclude things like cosmetic damage which which might diminish the the value of it to you personally yeah, my days of having gadget insurance are long gone and, and I've had my phone listed on, on content insurance since. But saying that, I've never actually claimed and I don't know if it'd be worth it for my old iPhone. And and on, and on that point, say you get a cracked screen, could it really be worth claiming on your contents insurance? Like your excess could exceed what it's even worth. Plus it could dent that elusive no claims bonus. Most insurance products, if you if you claim on them, having made a claim is going to increase your risk um, in the eyes of the insurer. So that's likely to affect your premium, at least for a for a period of time. And and we've actually found out recently this can very much be the case with home insurance. Mm. So that is always something that, again that you have to kind of factor into the equation when you're when you're thinking about using the insurance policy. Um, it's unfortunately not something that's kind of easily easily escapable. But yeah, you're right. It's it's basically something that you have to sort of factor in. We are which. Now, this next tip for saving money in the insurance world is a good one, which I can honestly say has saved me hundreds over the years. Put simply, never pay for excess car hire cover from your car hire company, because you can probably get it much cheaper elsewhere. Dean, can you talk us through it? Sure. So when you hire a car overseas, um, the hire company will pay for the insurance of the car. But what will typically be the case is that if the car comes to damage, you'll be liable for the excess, and that'll often be around the first thousand pounds of damage costs. Mm. So what typically happens is the hire company will provide an option where you can pay a bit more for the car hire price, and that will alleviate you of having to pay for for that first thousand pounds excess. Um, and it's called a super collision damage waiver. Mm-hmm. And it can cost, you know, somewhere in the ballpark of like £150, something like that. So that kind of sounds like a, a reasonable exchange, £150, and you don't mm-hmm. have to pay that £1,000. But what they're not telling you about is that if you look around on the internet um, for like five minutes, you'll find um, a type of insurance that's called excess reimbursement insurance. And this does essentially the same thing as a super collision damage waiver, but it costs around 20 quid rather than that 150 quid. To be um, clear, there is a bit of a difference to how it works. So if you have this excess reimbursement insurance and you damage the car, you will have to pay um, you know, those, those costs um, to, to the car hire company um, to mm-hmm. get the car repaired. 
But once you've paid that out, you can then claim with the insurer and they'll reimburse you the money. So once all said and done, you're kind of not out of pocket for that money. Well, like I say, I've done this more times than I can remember. And it, it's easy enough getting the excess cover online. The only thing I've come up against is when collecting the car. I've had salespeople basically trying to make me doubt the excess cover I've got and to buy it with them. And I suppose you just have to be confident and stand your ground here because let, let's get it straight. There's no obligation to buy it from them, from them is it? Though, though sometimes from my experience, it has been positioned in such a way. Car hire companies have been known to apply pressure tactics and sometimes give misleading information both about the super collision damage waiver products that they're selling and the insurance alternatives. But we've, you know, we found again and again that as well as coming at a cheaper price, excess reimbursement insurance can sometimes actually provide better cover. So like one classic example is that super collision damage waivers often exclude uh, damage to the car's windscreen, uh, the tires and the car's underbody, whereas the insurance alternatives tend to include these. And another thing to, I guess, take into account is if they're trying to sow you know, sort of doubt about the insurance policy. Mm-hmm. With the insurance, you can, of course, you, you know, you should be able to find clear information about what an excess insurance policy provides in its policy booklet before you buy it. So, you know, kind of have a have a careful look through that. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, there will be some exclusions and restrictions, but these should all be laid out in that document. Um, and then the other thing is that these companies, these insurance companies are regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. So if something goes wrong with this policy, if they, you know, if they treat you unfairly, you've got the recourse of being able to go to the financial ombudsman um, if, you know, to complain. So this next product has already had a little mention, and that's packaged bank accounts. Now, obviously, bank accounts are usually free. In fact, there's often an incentive to sign up. And before we move on, let's do a quick shout out on that, shall we? Because a few banks are paying you to switch right now, aren't they? Yeah, there's half a dozen of them at the moment. It's quite buoyant. I guess you're trying to take advantage of Mm. people making that commitment to sort out their finances in the new year. So HSBC, you mentioned this right at the top, Lucia, they're, they're paying out £150 from their accounts. Nationwide's got a 100 to £125 switching offer. Um, mm-hmm. First Direct is offering uh, £130. Santander's offering £140 plus cash back on bills as well. NatWest is offering £150 and £36 a year in cash back as well. And then Virgin is offering 12 free bottles of wine or a £150 experience voucher. Virgin money, that is. Now, what I will say with all of these is they are there are criteria um, for qualifying for these incentives. So Often for a switching incentive, you have to use the current account uh, switching services. It takes seven days to switch your bank account. Very, very quick and straightforward. And if anything goes wrong, you know, you should be back put back in the place that you should be. Um, but that does mean that you've got to close your current uh, current account provider as well. There might be, you know, minimum funding requirements. There might be a minimum number of direct debits that you have to set up. So you really need to be sure that this is the right account for you and your needs, whatever they are, before you get lured and seduced mm-hmm. by that carrot of a free switching incentive. But you're absolutely right. This is a it's a very simple way to make some free cash. And you can do it time and time again, can't you? 
Yeah, I mean, again, you know, um, there might be some kind of clawback. You really need to check the terms and conditions. Sometimes it's 12 months that you need to stay with account. But yeah, of course, you know, if you're one of those people that's always on the front foot looking for ways to make money, then you should be taking advantage of the competition that's out there in the banking market. But instead of paying you, a packaged account could cost you upwards of £100 a year. The ones we've analysed cost as much as 372 a year. So for that money, you expect bells and whistles, right? Yeah, they're often described as the Swiss army knife of bank accounts because you pay a, f- a monthly fee and then out comes a whole suite of benefits to go with it. And they're not all the same. So each bank account has um, different offers. But for example, you might get worldwide travel insurance as part of your package bank account. You might get car breakdown cover, and this will come in lots of different forms. Some will cover the full gamut, roadside assistance, home start, nationwide recovery, alternative travel or accommodation, European assistance. Some will only cover a few elements of that. Um, and often you get mobile phone cover as well. You might also get bunged a free overdraft from the accounts that we've looked at they're relatively stingy you know you might get 20 pounds 0% overdraft for example or 50 pounds 0% overdraft that's a packaged account in a nutshell it it looks at the different often insurances that you might buy separately and bundles them all in together with the the perks and benefits of a standard bank account So I think what we've heard just there is actually quite a positive look at packaged bank accounts, but they're not always value for money, are they? If if you're not going to use the stuff it comes with. Absolutely. Yeah. And we we rate packaged bank accounts. You can go to which.co.uk forward slash packaged bank accounts. Very simple to look at how we rate each of these accounts. We look at the annual cost of them and the value of the insurance that they um, offer you to really figure out actually, how good is this? And some of them are really good value. You know, um, the cooperative bank everyday extra account, it costs £180 per year. You get worldwide family travel insurance. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to go through them all again, but all of the breakdown cover, you get up to £1,500 covered for your mobile. Mm -hmm. And we think that is really good value for money. You know, at the bottom end, you've got the Revolut Metal account, it doesn't offer breakdown cover. It doesn't offer mobile phone insurance. Instead, it offers 1% cash back and accidental damage cover and reimbursement for £1,000 worth of cancelled events. So it's a slightly different account. But that costs £155.88 a year. And all you're getting is Mm. worldwide family travel insurance, really. And then these other things, which are kind of like... Yeah, you know, you've really got to be using your card to make the most of that cash back. Uh, And while we're on this, are there any niche examples where it could be cheaper for you to get a packaged account? Like if your travel insurance is usually sky high because of medical conditions or or you're over 65, because we've talked about how some insurers don't even offer policies for that age group. So yeah, I'd certainly say that there are um, there are probably it's worth it's worth taking them into account if you're shopping around for travel insurance. If you're looking at how much it costs to have the uh, the travel insurance as part of a larger package of perks, then you might find that you're getting better value of getting your travel insurance through a through a packaged account than you would be just buying it directly. 
But picking up on the point about health conditions, what you probably need to take into account is that the the kind of standard price you pay for the package, if it includes health insurance, that won't necessarily cover you for your health conditions. There might be exclusions. What you need to do to ensure that any health conditions that you have are covered is to contact the bank about it and go through a screening process. And then that that kind of assures you that that your medical conditions will be covered if you need to claim for something that's related to them. This, of course, may raise the price, but it could still work out cheaper than alternatives. We are which. Moving on now to a different note, and we're also joined by witch journalist Charlotte Gifford. Charlotte, you're on to discuss lifetime trusts or asset protection trusts. I don't think we've featured these much, if at all, on the podcast in in our over two years running. So how do they work? Yeah, so basically a trust is a way of kind of protecting your assets. So if you put, for example, a property in a trust, you're kind of ring fencing the property and its value. And the reason people usually do that is to kind of protect it for future generations, um, protect against relationship breakdown, divorce, stop it basically from being inherited by someone they don't want to inherit it. So it's a good way of just preserving your wealth going forward. But it is very expensive. So to set one up, you know, these are complicated instruments. So you'll need the help of a solicitor. So you've got legal fees. You've also got trust management fees. And there may also be some inheritance tax that you need to pay up front. So it's definitely not something you would set up lightly. Mm. And an issue with these is that many are sold as a way to avoid your home being used towards any potential care fees. And my first question really is, without a lifetime trust, what role does your home play if you need later life care? Yeah, so if you need later life care, um, the local council will take a look at your assets to see if you qualify for government funding. Under the current system, if you have more than 23250 pounds, um, you'll be responsible for paying the full care fees. And and obviously those can be astronomical. So they range from about £500 a week to about £900 a week. So for most people, you know, they, they won't be able to afford that with cash or savings. They'll use the capital locked away in their homes. And, and of course, most people don't want to do that. Um, and actually, research from Nationwide Building Society found that two out of three homeowners um, aged over 50 are actually very worried about being forced to sell their family home to afford care fees, with the obvious reason being that it's it's one of the most valuable things you own. You want to be able to pass it on to your children. You don't want to have to use it to, to afford your own care if you can possibly avoid it. It's worth noting that there are some quite significant reforms coming to the way that care is funded. Charlotte was talking about a, a kind of a threshold from which, you know, you, you start paying for care. This is being massively increased. So, you know, people with between 20 and £100,000 worth of assets could be eligible for um, means-tested financial support from their local council. There will be an £86,000 cap on the amount that anyone in England should have to pay for social care because the way social care is funded is different in all different countries. Um, So this is specific to England as well. I'm sure this is a, a conversation for a future podcast, so it could take me half an hour to talk you through all of this. Um, But By October 2023, which is when these reforms are being proposed to be introduced, the attractiveness of some of these trusts might dissipate because you're able to keep much more of your own money before you have to start paying for care. 
So currently, if you have more than the threshold, which is just over 23K, is a lifetime trust the answer? And technically, would you then be putting your home, say, into a trust to potentially avoid paying care home fees? So that's the appeal for a lot of people. A lot of people will get a lifetime trust and put their home in it so that they can ring fence that and avoid, well, protect it from pay, from being used to pay for care later in life. The trouble with that is, is that if the local authority um, thinks that you did set it up with that intention, that you set it, the trust up specifically to avoid paying care home fees, then there's a chance they'll regard it as deliberate deprivation of assets. And what that means is that you've deliberately deprived yourself of the property so it won't be included in the financial means test. And they will then determine that it it needs to be included regardless. Um, And if that happens, then you've potentially just wasted thousands, thousands of pounds um, setting this whole trust up just for it to to be meaningless ultimately in the end. Last year, when we asked um, a thousand people um, whether they thought it was a legitimate way of avoiding care costs to put your property in a trust, um, about half of them thought it was. So it's clearly something that does catch people out a lot. Um, And it's also something where a lot of people are, are marketing these trusts in this way a quick Google and you'll see a a huge number of solicitors and will writers marketing these trusts on the basis that they can help you avoid paying care home fees later in life and and just be extremely cautious about about following that guidance. Um, it, It is there is a risk that it will be considered deliberate deprivation of assets. I mean, if they're marketed in such a way, though, are these companies regulated? Will writers aren't. So that so that is one way that people sometimes end up setting these things up. Um, it's another reason perhaps to be sceptical if you are using a will writer and, and they suggest that, that you do this. I, th- I think be, be very kind of cautious with going through with that. Whenever you're setting up a lifetime trust, always seek legal, legal help first. On a side note, do you pay tax on these trusts? And maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Do people use them, for example, to keep property? Uh, And would that mean they don't have to pay capital gains tax? It's complicated, (laughs) as ever, with tax, because of our antiquated tax system that we have here, often described as one of the most complex in the world. Um, It's really worth considering. and, And this is why if you do go and set up a lifetime trust, don't have it set up by an unregulated will writer or somebody like that. You want it from a proper, qualified, regulated tax advisor because they will be recommending it knowing that it's the most advantageous outcome for your situation. Because you're gifting this house to the trust, it can it can actually attract inheritance tax if it's worth more than the tax-free allowance, technically called the nil rate band. That's currently £325,000 for everybody. You may also face an immediate 20% charge on any balance over that tax-free amount. Trustees have to submit tax accounts to HMRC. There might be a further bill every decade worth 6% of the value over that tax-free threshold. Income tax on any payments from the trust. If the trustees sell the assets within a trust, there might also be capital gains tax. And because it's run by trustees, your annual allowance for capital gains tax is lower than you get as an individual which is currently 12,300. It's half of that amount. So be very careful. I'm sure people have been unstuck by the tax 
um, complications that come with sticking your property into a lifetime trust. Now, finally, we're coming back to the home and we've got some warnings here about extended warranties and appliance cover. Let's start with boiler cover because we've done some analysis on this and the figure's a shocking one that it's only worth it for 1% of people. Dean, why is this? So we did a survey of which members last year who owned boiler cover um, and they were paying an average of £297 for it um, a year. And of these, uh, 21% uh, had needed a boiler repaired in the previous year. So they needed to use that cover. But of that, almost all had actually paid more in their premium than they got out of the policy through the costs of the repairs and the annual service that the cover was paying for. And finally, we're on to extended warranties and appliance cover. But first, let's hear from which consumer rights journalist Hannah Downs now for a brief on your right to a refund, repair or replacement if something you've bought is faulty. So you do have rights under the Consumer Rights Act if you receive an item and it's faulty or not as described or not of the quality that you expected. It's important to remember that your rights are with the retailer. So it's worth contacting them first before going to the manufacturer. So if you notice the fault um, or poor quality within 30 days, you can ask for a refund, repair or replacement. And then after 30 days, but within six months, you'll be entitled to a repair or replacement. And if the retailer can't offer you this or kind of fails to to deliver on the repair or or replacement, then you can ask for a refund. If you are unhappy with the quality of a product you've received, it's best to take photos as evidence and you can send these then to to the retailer. It's also worth trying to get everything in writing when communicating with the retailer. So if you do end up calling them instead of emailing them, it's worth trying to get a transcript uh, of the call or kind of asking for a summary email after you speak with them. And we also have a which faulty goods tool, which will help you draft a free complaint letter to send to the retailer. So you can go on our website to start your complaint. Thanks, Hannah. All essential stuff to remember there. But what about beyond six months? Because that doesn't actually feel that long. You'd expect TVs, washing machines, laptops all to last years, right? I mean, my laptop, thankfully, is just about surviving after a good 10 years. So our research generally finds that most products that are covered by extended warranties um, are actually pretty reliable over the first five years of ownership, which the warranties cover. Um, And where the faults do crop up, the cost of repairs is likely to come to less than the actual cost of the warranty. And then on top of this, extended warranties can have gaps in them, such as wear and tear exclusions and accidental damage exclusions, which means that you won't always be able to to put them to use the way that you'd wanted to. And then lastly, for the first six years of ownership, you're protected by the Consumer Rights Act uh, 2015, which requires that products be of a satisfactory quality. So you might be able to claim from the retailer whether you have a warranty or not. Also, just one last thing. New rules were introduced in July last year called Right to Repair. And and this basically forces manufacturers to make sure that they've got the spare parts available for um, a whole range of goods, washing machines, washer dryers, dishwashers, fridges and TVs. They need to keep them um from uh for for up to 10 years after the product has been discontinued. So if there's a product that they have on sale for you know a decade they've got to keep that that um the parts for that product for another 10 years which means you could potentially extend the lifespan of your product for you know 
two decades, 20 years. We're going back to the, you know, the washing machines that our parents and grandparents always claim never broke down. (laughs) This is about cutting down on the 1.5 million tonnes worth of electrical waste that's generated each year, but also speaks to perhaps what Dean was just talking about, which is the poor value of purchasing extended warranties, knowing that for certain goods out there, you've got great backing from the law under the Consumer Rights Act, and you've got the right to repair for what could be decades in the future. Uh, And these warnings here, do they apply to appliance cover too? Are these also a waste of money? So like a lot of the financial products that we've been discussing, there are chances of them working out to prove their worth for some people. So, you know, with with, a, with an extended warranty, for example, if you had to make multiple claims, you'd get your money's worth out of it. But our research kind of indicates that in most cases, picking a reliable brand and having some money set aside to deal with unexpected costs could probably prove more cost effective. And another reason we singled out appliance cover is because of the issue around it being sold. Many cold callers are actually outright scammers targeting vulnerable people. We've seen an example of one victim who lost around £1,000 a month to this kind of scam. Yeah, she was in her 90s and she'd been called up by a firm saying that her um, insurances were about to expire. She ended up taking out insurance for a product that she didn't even own in the house she had dishwasher insurance for a dishwasher that she didn't have heartbreaking yeah it's really heartbreaking and um it's a really really dirty practice Mm. this is not all of appliance cover but there we have seen an increasing number of complaints from people who have been targeted or, or their parents have been targeted by firms selling pressure selling uh appliance cover or selling cover that doesn't exist and hoping that people set up a direct debit. It's a subscription trap, really. It's setting up a direct debit and hoping that they forget about it and they see £10, £20 a month going out of their account like clockwork before it's too late. And again, this is why it's targeting perhaps elderly people around care in the home products. So perhaps you, you know, you get sent something wear around your neck, which has an alarm on it or a, or a phone with big buttons or something like that to, to help you when you're older. So if you have a fall, you can push an alarm, you know, a subscription to that. And again, people spending, you know, 10, 15 pounds a month. But mm. if you sucker enough people into that, that's a huge amount of money for you to be made and um, lots and lots of people being ripped off. So be very wary about these, particularly if they're cold calls. And we covered this in more detail in a previous episode. So do go back and have a listen. We'll put a link in the description of this week's episode. Thank you so much to Dean, Gareth and Charlotte for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money podcast. Now, before you get on with your day, please do take a minute to hit follow and subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review wherever you're listening. And for more money news and advice, find us on social media at Witch Money and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. This episode of the Witch Money podcast was produced and edited by Rob Lilly with additional support from Ian Aikman and Charlotte Gifford. Music.